0: I'm studying companies that are going through a lot of change. What was happening is in the HR world, we were saying things like employee engagement and job satisfaction. These are things that are really helping companies be successful. And I didn't see that playing out. What we actually saw was there were situations where people could be incredibly satisfied and not doing very much. So job satisfaction alone, mm-hmm wasn't really cutting it. So when we started digging into companies, what we actually saw was there was something other than engagement, it was something other than satisfaction, and that thing is energy. And what we found was that in every company that we study, the ERG members have higher energy, and consistently higher energy than people not in ERGs.
1: That's Dr. Teresa M. Wellborn, founder, CEO, and president of EE e. Pulse. Teresa is talking about the importance of energy in your workplace and the role your ERG plays in producing that energy. In this first half of our program, Teresa will tell you about this invisible yet powerful role that your group plays in driving top performance throughout your organization. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors. Atrium Health, Freighter Health and Wisconsin Medical College, Mass Mutual, Lockheed Martin, Avanade, Daimler Trucks North America, and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Now, let's go straight to the program. Every company in the world is looking to have rock star employees. According to Harvard Business Review, in the past, Companies have spent over $720 million a year to create the types of conditions that will increase employee productivity and turn their workforces into rock stars. And that investment is projected to more than double to over $1.5 billion in the near future. For most of our century, the focus of all these investments and efforts has been on creating the conditions that produce employee satisfaction. Most recently, since the 1990s, attention shifted from the conditions that lead to satisfaction to the conditions that result in employee engagement. All of this for one goal to turn all of us into high-performing employee rock stars. But what if satisfaction and engagement, while important, are not enough? What if there is another factor that needs to be addressed to produce the conditions where employees perform like rock stars? And what if that other vital ingredient is one that is produced in great abundance by your ERGs? That's what we're going to be exploring today with Teresa in this episode. I think by the end of this episode, you'll be surprised to learn how much raw value your ERG is really bringing to your entire company, even before you calculate one cent of any ROI coming out of any specific program or activity that you're running. So let's join Teresa now as she tells us what she does in addition to being the president and CEO of EE Pulse. And I'm also a professor with the
0: University of Southern California's Center for Effective Organization, and the University of Alabama. So I've got two hats that I wear. One is an academic, and one is a business person. And they actually go together very well, because with both of them, I'm a researcher. And what I end up doing is collecting a lot of data. And then instead of just sitting on it and writing to other academics we've been able to take that data and create tools for businesses. So that's where E.E. Pulse comes in.
1: So let me ask you this. In your work, I see the topic of energy. Give us some context as to what you're talking about when you refer to energy in people and how that impacts their role in their organization.
0: Right, And I've been doing a lot of work on energy for over 20 years, although I didn't want to date myself. So um, (laughs) let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, So for a short answer, energy is defined as the ability to do work. Now, how did I get interested in energy? And I'm going to tell you that story because it gives you a little bit of understanding of why energy. So i was studying and and still do study companies that are going through a lot of change. So high growth and high change organizations. And when you look at where we are today, I would probably bet that if we had a big audience in front of us, they would all say yes, my company is going through a lot of change because the environment's changing. But what was happening is in the HR world, we were saying things like employee engagement and job satisfaction. These are things that are really helping companies be successful. And I didn't see that playing out in these high-growth companies. So what we actually saw was there were situations where people could be incredibly satisfied and not doing very much. So job satisfaction alone Mm -hmm. wasn't really cutting it. And if you dig into that research, there is a lot of work that shows job satisfaction alone does not necessarily drive productivity. It might lead to people staying because who doesn't want to stay if you're really happy and you don't have to do much? So, so there's that situation that was, getting, that was problematic. So when we started digging into companies where we were looking at companies that were growing quickly, you know, that were going through reorganizations, going through mergers, and what we saw is it was something other than engagement. It was something other than satisfaction. And that thing via lots of research that I could talk probably eight hours about um, is energy. So it's this internal motivation um, it's interesting when I ask people how they define energy, they know what it is. So it's, it's a thing that propels you forward. So think of it as, you know, um, not just being steady, but, but moving forward, having momentum, being energized, just like your car. You know, you turn the keys and the battery makes you go forward.
1: That's fascinating. You know, when you just said it clicked, but it's like one of those things that becomes obvious after you say it, that being satisfied or engaged doesn't necessarily mean that you're really putting out a lot of productivity. It just means that you're happy where you are and that you're comfortable where you are, which is okay. You want people to be happy and comfortable in the organization, but ultimately what you want is productivity. And so what you're saying is this energy factor is more indicative of how productive they'll be than just measuring how happy they are being there.
0: Yes, and we have a lot of data to show that's the case. So I have over a million data points on employee energy at companies from around the world. Um, And no matter where we ask the question, what we see is employee energy predicts performance. But there's a little bit of a catch to it. So with most of the human capital-related metrics we study, it's on a 1 to 5 scale and a 1 to 7 scale. And 7 is always better, right? The higher you go up, the better it is. That is not the case with energy. So let me give you an example before I, I go into detail. But let's think about how you start an exercise program, okay? So let's say you went to the doctor, and the doctor says, hey, you need to start running on the treadmill, the doctor would never say, now I want you to go on that treadmill and I want you to turn it to the highest level you can and <laughs> run as fast as you can for as long as you can. Okay? We don't do that. We don't do that in production either. So the whole to- total quality management movement was not about taking your machinery, let's say you got a brand new piece of machinery and turn it up full blast and see how many things you can get done. You do, prote- you do maintenance, right? You, you do something, they use control charts because it's all about optimization. So what we learned with energy, it's the same thing. I don't want you to be at your highest energy level. I want you to be at the energy level where you're at your best. So, so we measure, we ask for two, we ask two questions. One is what's your working energy? So I use a zero to 10 scale and ask people, where are you in energy today? And you go from no energy to low energy, to medium, to high. And then you're at this level, which we call at risk, because you've got so many things happening. It's actually putting so much stress on your system, just like the treadmill would, that you can't produce at a rate where you're most productive or where you're, you know, you're really delivering what you need to do to the company. So we ask them where they are, then we ask them where they're at their best. So we're collecting data on two numbers, and the gap between those two numbers predicts performance. So it predicts, um, it predicts performance in manufacturing settings. It predicts customer satisfaction. We've seen for salespeople, sales go up by um, very significant amounts in a very short period of time when you get people what we call in the zone. And it predicts, um, again, turnover, lots of different outcomes. But it's, it's getting people to where they're at their best. And not everybody is at their best at the same number.
1: Interesting. So how do you identify what the optimal energy level is where you're at a peak, you're not too far above or too far below? Mm-hmm for a particular group of people? What are the factors in that?
0: Fortunately, we've had, we have a lot of data points and a lot of math behind it. So what, the way that we establish a zone, which is what a manager would get a report on, is basically by looking at the data over time and seeing you know, when do people start having um, negative outcomes on performance appraisals, when do sales go down, et cetera. But the way the math works is we calculate an average for a group and we go up and down half the standard deviation. So it looks like if you're doing a normal distribution, you wanna keep people in that middle part. And we've done that long enough to be able to say that that works at a group level. But I think the more powerful um, analysis that we do is at the individual level. And ever since we started collecting this data, even when technology was really clunky, we gave every individual person who was involved in the project, a copy of their own energy report. So it's important not that you manage your manager manage your energy, but that you learn how to manage your own energy. So every individual person gets a report that shows them you know, their trend line, their control points, and where they're at their best. And, and what they do is start recording what's making their energy go way up out of the range and what's making their energy go way down. And they learn from that. So, so it you know, kind of falls in line with something we call reflective learning, that people reflect on what's helping me be best, you know, am I best at work or most productive or optimized, and then try to repeat that behavior over time. And then get rid of the things or at least try to change the things that are really bringing you down.
1: Got it. So it's less of a group thing and more of an individual thing in terms of understanding, like, for example, for myself, what are those things that I do that are energizers and how do they bring me to that peak state without overwhelming me and taking me beyond that peak state where then it has the opposite effect. And then me understanding what those are and then managing that so that I'm managing my energy appropriately in order to have Maximum or, I guess, optimal output. Does that kind of sum it up a little bit?
0: Right, it, it does. And I'll give, give you one example. I would guess that in any employee survey, you've seen people are not happy with communications. You know, it always comes up, right? Right. So, whenever you give it to a manager, they say, Oh, so what am I supposed to do? Have more meetings? Well, that's never going to work. And so, so, there's all these things managers want to do. Well, what, you know, do I have more meetings? Do I have less meetings? Do I communicate via phone? You know, what is it I'm supposed to do? And I said, what if we forget, forget that and ask the train the employees to ask questions better? You know, really get sense. the employees to think about what is it they would need information on and give them the confidence they need to be able to ask the question. And, and th- that will come up with our ERG work too because then you start thinking about what makes somebody feel more confident. What kind of things in a company gives people more skills to communicate? And maybe, maybe helping empower the person can lead to much more productivity, productivity in the organization because you're going to get the answer quickly.
1: Yep, that makes perfect sense. That's great. So along that same line of thinking, you're saying get them to understand so that they can manage their own energy more efficiently. So you started going in the direction that I was going to take you, which was the ERGs. How has your research shown you that being a member or a leader of an ERG impacts an employee's energy?
0: I've been collecting a lot of data on ERGs also. And we have studies from our Multiple companies, and probably the most powerful data comes from studies within a company when we collected data from ERG members and a random sample of non-ERG members. And what we found was that in every company that we study, the ERG members have higher energy and consistently higher energy and energy in the zone, um, you know, more weeks in the zone, more time in the zone than people not in ERGs. Fascinating. So, and what's really interesting about that, those ERG members are doing a lot more work, right? Because their ERG yeah. work is after hours.
1: Yep, absolutely, yeah.
0: Top of job. So, um, so, so that again gets to, so why, why would being an ERG make you feel more energized? And
1: on that, yes. Yeah, you want the answer? <laughs> okay. Yes, I do. <laughs>
0: yeah, so what we hear from people, so, so, so we ask people, what percent of their day is, is doing things that make them feel energized and what percent not. So the averages we get is 60% of my work makes me feel energized 40 percent is a de-energizer and that's across organizations, right? I mean, there's some work you have to do, which is just, and eh, it's tedious. You don't like it. It's not making you feel like you're, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Creative. So, um, so what's happening in the ERGs is it's because people feel so good about what they're doing. It's helping them cope with the negative better and it's just making them feel good about being part of the company. They're, they're able in their ERGs to bring that part of them to work that they can't necessarily bring to work in their jobs. And it's having a very positive effect on them. And then we're also seeing that they're learning new skills in their ERGs. So it's helping them do their jobs better. And one particular area is on innovation. I don't know if you've, ta- you've talked a lot about innovation in ERGs, but it's certainly a hot topic. And what we're seeing is people are learning, they're, they're joining an ERG they're improving their confidence through all those interactions and support. They're learning to be innovative, and then they're taking that innovation back to their job. So again, it makes them feel more energized because they're, they're, they love giving new ideas. They like being part of a solution, and they can do that.
1: You know, I'm trying to figure out as I'm listening to you, it's sort of the chicken and egg story. What came first? Is it that people who are members of ERGs or ERG leaders obviously have like this, Higher enthusiasm or desire to be engaged in this manner. And that's why they put their hand up and they give up lunch hours and they do all this other stuff in order to contribute more to their communities and their organization. Or is it something about the group itself or the type of group itself that brings that out in people who are members or leaders of it? Have you got an answer for that question?
0: Yeah, I, I have a theory, and we're actually doing some work to study that now. And there is a difference probably between the leaders and the members. Like you said, you know, the leaders, the people who are the, are the individuals who even start ERGs, they're pretty passionate about their cause, right? And I, and I think that bodes well for the ERG after it gets started, too. But you do have these outstanding individuals who are really passionate. You know, they, they can motivate others, and they get, they get the ERG going. But they can't sustain it unless they bring in more members, and the members are coming from all different kinds of jobs and all walks of life. So, you know, I think that they catch the leader's passion and energy, and, what, and one of the things we've seen with energy is that it is catchy. We study a manager's energy being up, and what happens to the employees that week, and we see that it, that it cascades. So, so I think there's a combination of the two there, um, where they're 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 coming into it, but they're creating they're helping other people be at that level that they're at too.
1: That's amazing. So it is a chicken
0: and egg, but it's, it's, what do they call it? Um, It's a cycle.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. In effect, these ERGs and the leaders of these ERGs are really providing really a vital service because they are actually injecting more energy into the people that are part of these groups and that energy then translates into those people going out and being more productive so that's an unrecognized value that erg leaders are providing to their organizations
0: yeah it's it's really interesting particularly today when we're changing the way people work so much overnight because ergs have, they're they're basically a grass grassroots organization that has the trust of the members. And the ability for a leadership team to bring an organization around during these deep changes can be greatly enhanced by engaging those ERG leaders. They can get the message out to members. They are very trusted. They, the members know each other. And again, it's, if you think about it, it's tops down, which is from a strategic point of view. If you just do that, it's going to take a long time to make change happen. Yeah. We know that. Even in diversity. Okay, let's tap down to give everybody a seminar online on sexual harassment and hope it went away. Yeah. <laughs> that usually doesn't work. You can take the box off that you did it. Right. But you're not changing behavior. Whereas when you start at the grassroots level and people are, are monitoring each other and, and energizing each other and you know sharing messages and and helping each other be more confident, that you you have the ability to just escalate anything you're trying to do in the organization. So yeah, I think if if companies aren't using their ERGs to help get through things like a crisis like right now, they're really missing the boat because they can help with innovation, they can help with productivity, they can help by energizing people, and they can help get through crisis situations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that actually moves me to my next question for you. I know that you recently launched a survey to explore how ERGs and BRG leaders and their members are helping organizations during different types of crisis that happen, like the one that we have right now. So what have you learned so far from the responses that you've gotten to date?
0: I just um, pulled out the results we have so far just for you Joe. Um, so we asked them a couple questions and, and it, instead of, you know, the closed end, I just really left open-ended comments to learn from them and the first thing we did was ask them if they've been in the past involved in crisis situations and they had some really good examples of doing that during floods, earthquakes, you know, other natural national disasters and then we asked them what they're doing today and we got a really nice list of activities they're doing. And I don't know if their leaders are asking them to do it or if they just choose to do it on their own. But you know, one of the big themes is that they're checking in on each other. They're making sure people are okay because mm-hmm. a lot of people are working at home. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of friends who have young children at home mm-hmm. and that, you know, we, we, so my two children are grown up and on their own and I worry about them. But they're not running around in the background when you and I are on this conversation.
1: Yeah.
0: So, so there are challenges there and then there's more fear too. Like, am I going to be able to get supplies I need for my family? I'm taking care of these little ones. So I think the ERG leaders are saying they're really um, cognizant of that and they're trying to help. And, and they're not only trying to reach out to people one-on-one and, and support them, but they're doing a lot of group activities and a lot, a lot of like, Some of its entertaining things, like they have a yap hour where you bring your pet on your on your Zoom call, so everybody can meet their pets. And you know, so you might say, "Oh, that's just like some kind of funny social, uh, you know, challenge." But it makes people feel human. So I think they're they're just really care about people and are trying to help them as they're trying to do their jobs, be productive. Um, and then also just on the core, being productive. A lot of people don't know how to work virtually. They don't have their cameras set up and their microphones and their computers. So they're doing some tactical work with organizations and they're helping the community. So we're seeing a lot of, a lot of the comments are around, trying to rally around putting care packages together and you know, helping the kids who need a lot lunch and um, just a lot, of, a lot of different ideas that make you just really proud that we're working with our ERGs.
1: So as an ERG or BRG champion, leader or chair, what did you get out of this first half of this program? Here's what I jotted down. One. Without your groups, it is unlikely that employee satisfaction or engagement efforts alone will produce that workforce of rock stars that your company needs and wants today. Two, the missing ingredient for creating an environment that produces an abundance of rock stars and companies today is productive energy. Three, your groups are by far shown by research to be the generators of that key missing energy ingredient. Four, this energy and the human glue needed to get through a crisis is one of your hallmark traits, and it's part of how you show up during a crisis like the coronavirus pandemic. Five, while ROI skills are great at measuring the relative value of your project and other efforts and what these are contributing to your company, you are providing value through the effect that you're having on increasing organizational energy that no ROI calculation could ever capture. Next up, Teresa will continue to share various ways that your group brings value by being a trusted conduit for information in the organization and providing a breeding ground for all types of leaders at all levels of the company. But before we continue, let's pause to learn a bit more about EE Pulse and Teresa. If you are working for one of our seven podcast sponsor companies, good news, you'll have have an opportunity to meet with Teresa during a live webinar and learn more about boosting your energy to optimal levels so that you can up your performance as well as that of your group and your companies. But if you are not one of those sponsors, then this will tell you a little more about Teresa and how you can reach her and EE e. Pulse. I'll meet you again on the other side.
2: Dr. Teresa M. Welborn is the Will and Maggie Brooke Professor in Entrepreneurship and the Executive Director of the Alabama Entrepreneurship Institute. She is also the founder, CEO, and President of ePulse. Dr. Welborn developed the trademarked Energy Pulse based on her research on the drivers of firm performance. At ePulse, we define energy as the ability to do work. Optimizing employee energy results in higher levels of individual, team, and organizational performance. The energy metric also predicts employee turnover and performance, and the methodology is a fast method to track and act to optimize employee energy. Trademarked energy pulsing puts the employee at the center of continuous improvement. For more information, visit ePulse.com. That's eepulse.com, eepulse.com.
1: Okay, let's go back where we left off with Teresa. One of the things that I recently was talking to someone about is how these groups, by their nature, actually perform the role of a form of cultural glue. All these different communities, veterans, women, African-American, Latinos, young workers, older workers, LGBTQ, et cetera. I mean, you can literally find the... ERG, BRG, that just about everyone in the company can associate with. And through that association, form a community within that small cluster, which then through intersectionality, connects everybody. Mm -hmm. And I would think that organizations now would want to leverage that more than ever, because I think that human piece that you are talking about is so valuable. Do you know of organizations off the top that are actually leveraging that very well right now?
0: I think that's what a lot of them are trying to do. And certainly there's some really good examples out there. So the the one we, um, I think you know that I do an ERG leader summit every year and the company that came out to talk to us and, and really had some great stories with Salesforce. You know, they talk, and they've taken on diversity in a diff, very different perspective too because they're really talking about equality. So they've been pretty brave to get out there and talk about equality when a lot of people don't want to use that word. And they had just great examples of their ally programs and um, they're using storytelling. So if you go to their website, They've made a lot of their information public, but storytelling is another thing that is a a form of how you get to this cultural blue. So it's not just promoting different ERGs and the Ally program, but learning from them and trying to get the emotion out of what's happening. I think they've done a really good job. Um, Bank of America also, um, I'll give a shout out to Will Lewis. Every time I talk to him, the number of ERGs in their population goes up. So I think when I first started talking to to him a couple of years ago, it was 60,000 out of 200,000. And the last time we chatted, it was about 160000 So he has done such a great job. And if you're talking about intersectionality, it's that everybody's finding a place for themselves. And, and, um, you know, again, I think what's happening, so I have this theory I've been talking about called the collision theory of ERGs as to why they work. Because it's a little counterintuitive, isn't it, that we're doing diversity with people being in their own little tiny groups. Yes. Right, so basically what we're seeing is they get in their group, they, they get confident, they're comfortable, but it gives them the ability to go out there and collide with other groups, not like them. And that's, that's, I think, where your glue comes from, not just staying in my own energy, but working with others and learning about others in a way that I wouldn't have done so before.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, just thinking about what you were talking about before about energy. And then later on about the impact that being a member of an ERG has on the members in terms of increasing that energy, which in turn uh, Mm -hmm. translates into greater productivity and also the cultural glue and all the other stuff. And I know in another podcast, we talked about the value that ERGs bring to the organization and quantifying that Mm -hmm. in terms of ROI so that these groups can show the value that they bring and that they're not just nice-to-haves, but they're important. I think that it's really hard to capture the value that you were just talking about. Now, I mean, you can capture it from person to person, but to capture it through the totality of the organization. And to think if we cut back on these groups now because of the need to reduce our budgets and to have a little bit of austerity, we may be thinking that we're cutting back a couple of thousand dollars here and there from you know diversity budgets or whatever budgets feed these groups. But what we're really doing, and correct me if I'm taking this or extending this a little bit too far, it sounds like what we really would be doing if we did that would be sapping out a lot of that energy that makes our employees most productive.
0: I absolutely agree with you. Um, Most of the ERGs don't have big budgets anyway. (laughs) So, you know, and they're doing so much and they're giving so much, it would really be a shame to lose that asset in the organization. And, you know, the the other thing is, if you look at what's happening now, there's a very high fear level in society in general, right? I mean, you watch the news, see what's happening. At least in our lifetimes, this hasn't happened to us. So what's important is people feel like they can cope with the situation. And the ERGs can really help organizations because they're they're trusted. And I think that members perceive them as truth-tellers so that regardless of what's happening, if they know that they've got a network of support and people who they trust, and if they're supporting the organization overall, it's going to help them get through this a lot better than it would be without them.
1: Yeah. And that other component that you were just talking about now about trust, let's face it, people go to organizations and they may have, let's say, on a scale of one to 10, they may have a trust level in people who are remote from them who might be at the very top of the organization. They might have a trust level of maybe, let's be generous and say six (laughs) or seven, right? Right. (laughs) Six or seven. But that trust level probably does not approach the trust level that they might have in that person who is the leader of that ERG or BRG that's line of sight to them that they work with, who's probably helped them before and they have a relationship with. And so another thing that you lose if those groups kind of fall down or decrease in size or in energy or in number is the organization loses the ability to have those people who are trusted at the grassroots who then can advocate on behalf of supporting some of the organization's positions and help to garner more support than the support that any senior executive might be able to get through conference calls or videos, right?
0: You're 100% right. You know, and another way to think about it is that at some point, you know, this business that's slowing down for companies is going to pick up again, and they're, the companies need to reach out to the consumers of the world. And that is one place where ERGs have also been really helpful, is getting into the communities that they know so well. So wow. so they, they're they like an extended sales force in a lot of ways. Mm. Because they it's not only the trust that employees have in each other, but they build, they've they built relationships with communities over time. And all of that's important for getting back on your feet when we're over the, the situation that we're in right now.
1: Yep, that makes perfect sense. So I was recently communicating with someone on an organization that exists in a state where The leaders of ERGs and BRGs belong to this external Hmm. resource group that is for that particular community. So these are the chairs of the company ERGs and BRGs who are now the members of this other group. And I thought, that's a fascinating model. It uh, provides certainly an opportunity for people to share ideas and to continue to develop. Based on your research, where do you see ERGs evolving? Do you see them remaining primarily this internal group in the company, or do you see them morphing into something else? as companies and business continues to evolve?
0: I think that's a really interesting question and I wish I had the answer. (laughs) I have some ideas and I share with you, um, I share that observation of them being connected to other companies in their community. Uh, that's a really powerful way for us to learn and for them to learn and bring learning to the companies. The, the other interesting thing is looking at how they have evolved in terms of what kind of ERGs there are, right? So we've we've really gone way past the traditional demographic ERGs that so were focused on Title VII and you know, traditional diversity goals. So as you start to get ERGs on you know, things like Cambia um, did one on palliative care. We have neurodiversity. We have... And environmental, we have all these different things. So what you're seeing is really, there's a term out there called communities of practice. Mm. So, so if it's, if we could figure out what the ERGs are doing well and why they're doing well, then it seems like companies could evolve to have lots of different types of ERGs groups based on the needs of people and their own needs. And this might be a different way of organizing. Now again, I don't know the answer, but there just seems to be something about how they're evolving that is could be useful for any kind of organization. So for example, I hear a lot of times, well, small companies can't have ERGs. They can if we change what an ERG has to be. And we have enough of that, you know, enough people interested in that functionality or that cause to be able to create that kind of energy. So I don't know, I think something's going to happen different inside organizations too.
1: Yeah, You know, I read a while ago, quite a while ago about how we humans originally were in these sort of small tribal groups and how Mm -hmm. we've evolved over the years into larger and larger collections of people, organizations, yeah. and on a political side, you know, cities, states, countries, etc. Yeah. but that we're still wired to be connected only to a small, discrete number of people mm-hmm. uh, in, in a close and more engaged way. Do you think that that might have something to do also with some of the power behind these ERGs that... You could belong to an organization that has 60,000 people and you all carry the same employee badge and you feel some kind of a connection and allegiance to that, but you have an even stronger allegiance to that small group that you meet with on a monthly basis where you know the leaders in person and they know you and you know them and how many kids they have and where they went on vacation the last time and all that stuff is that part of the magic you think here and do you think that that's something that organizations should actually strive to do on purpose
0: i absolutely agree with you um and it's it's not just that we are in search of smaller groups and community which which we again socially are and there's even some research say that once you get to 100 employees in a company, it starts getting dysfunctional. So there are companies that have you know, <laughs> grown to where when they get to 101, they create another unit. So, um, but it's also that we need something other than the traditional hierarchy, right? Because, uh, because people, what we see, when I, when I interview ERG members and leaders, they talk a lot about there are things I'll talk about in my ERG that I wouldn't talk about with my boss.
1: Yep. Because
0: yes. my boss, so there's this formal authority which you have one relationship with, and then you have peers and trusted peers that are, that are different. And there are different needs for those two groups, and it helps keep the company healthy.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's great. Yeah, it is another form of connecting with other people in the organization outside of just that, you know, the sort of hierarchical, formal relationship that people have inside companies. So, Teresa, as these groups evolve, and as they continue to form external relationships with the ERGs of other organizations, or maybe even within their own organization, grow and evolve in different ways, do you see this as a continuing boost to the energy of people that are inside those companies in a way that translates into higher job performance within the organization?
0: The answer is yes. And not, that's even not futuristic. We see that in our data. So I think that's a data-driven conclusion that we can, we can say right now, people that are in ERGs and involved in ERGs, building their skill set, bringing that part of themselves to the job that they couldn't bring before, those people are more productive employees than those that are not. And again, there's exceptions everywhere everywhere. But that's what we see when we look at our data across organizations and within organizations. So whatever it is they're doing, it's powerful and it's impacting the bottom line in the businesses. And then, you know, again, if we can translate that to things like energy and productivity, what we know from other studies where we're looking at multiple companies over time, looking at stock price growth, looking at profitability, looking at, I just finished a study in 20-year survival of companies, those things that we've been talking about make a difference. So we can plot the roi story to surviving as a company um, which makes what they're doing really very important and then i I don't want to lose touch with the fact that i mean a lot of what they're doing is beyond diversity uh, but unfortunately we haven't fixed diversity alone yet in fact Mm -hmm. in some of those comments from the survey that we have now we're talking about the experiences some of the um, asian groups are having based on the backlash of the coronavirus so Even now, these ERG members at home saying, how do we help our groups that are having problems Mm. today? So they still are fighting the battle (laughs) on the discrimination
1: side
0: and making sure everybody's equal, but they've moved it past that to really drive performance.
1: Yeah, that's great. You talked about skills a little bit in your last comment. So besides the energy, what are some of the skills that people who are members of ERGs And people who are leaders of ERGs are building that they otherwise would not build.
0: I'd say everything is associated with leadership. So, and it's not just the leaders, it's the others who are taking on assignments, but ERG leaders get connection to executive sponsors. It helps them be mentored and learn. And then they're also practicing leadership with a group of people who they have no formal authority over. So if you're going to get something done, you have to be able to influence and motivate people and they learn that. Um, They're they're great communicators. Um, I'm just amazed, so again, we do this annual ERG Leadership Summit and we have people coming in who are from lots of different organizations and just because you're an ERG leader doesn't mean you're a company leader, right? So I might have a receptionist who's in charge of one of the ERG groups and that person, regardless of where they are in the hierarchy, they're amazing communicators. Mm. So somehow they're, they're building their communication skills I and mean, maybe they had it, but you, know, you just see them able to articulate uh, how to lead groups. They can stand on stage and talk about what they're doing. Uh, I think they're, they're building their own personal skill sets to be better in any job that they're put into in the future.
1: That's fantastic. As you were talking about that, I was just thinking about something that I observed years ago, which was that I saw the same thing you saw. I saw a lot of people who were in BRGs and BRGs who I came to recognize as being really well-rounded when it came to communication skills, when it came to influencing skills. A lot of things that organizations say that they really want to see in their leaders and their executives. What I didn't see was managers recognizing that or recognizing that that receptionist that you mentioned before has amazing communication skills and that she probably can do who knows how many different types of jobs in the company and grow in those positions. Are you seeing that remaining the same or is that shifting? Are organizations beginning to realize that they have people that are qualified as leaders at just about any level of the organization who did not come up the traditional way, but actually got it through their participation in one of these groups?
0: That's an interesting observation because I think that And you you and I have talked about this before, I think, on the prior podcast, but communication is great, leadership's great, but part of leadership is showing that you are spending the company's resources wisely. So maybe what they're not doing that they need to do to really be key for those leadership jobs is learning a little bit more on the business skill side. So, you know, what is the return on investment of what we've been doing? And even if they don't have the math behind it, being able to show that, It's not that you just had 100 people come to your social event, but that because they came, they learned to do X, and that resulted in Y, and, you know, we were able to recruit more people. So there is maybe a little bit of a missing link where if they learned a little more of those, what I'll call traditional business skills, combined with the communication and natural motivational skills they have, it might be more obvious to leadership that they can take on those roles.
1: I agree with you completely, first of all, but that reminded me of another story. I used to be in the outsourcing field before I went into d and And in that role, I headed up an organization that had about 300 people. And if you know anything about outsourcing, we basically sell these services where we're going to take over the staff of another organization, put our own leadership and managers in place, and use our processes, practices, and tools, and do it cheaper, uh-huh. faster, and better. Well, in that model, a couple of things that are really important are you have to be able to have someone to put in there to take over that new account quickly because even though you have a signed deal, you're not getting revenue until you actually are able to start performing. And so you need to be able to. Have a bench of people so that this person who is running your account A has a number two who can take over for them or take over a new account so that you can juggle people around and expand your operation pretty quickly to absorb new clients. Well, we were having quite a challenge doing that, especially after the demographics started to change. One of the things that I realized was that as we were getting more women in the organization, our bench tended to be a little empty. And the reason for it was this men who came into the organization came in as technicians Mm -hmm. and women who came into the organization came in usually through the help desk. That was the general mix. Not always, but that was the general mix. And our training and development programs that were designed to take someone who was up and coming and who looked promising and develop them into a manager who then could become a program executive who could then sit Mm -hmm. in one of those accounts. It was totally geared toward taking that person who came to the technical side and giving them the administrative side so that they knew both sides of the business. Uh And now having that top level picture, they were ready to move up and move into these other roles. On the other hand, unfortunately, if you came into the administrative side, there was no corresponding training to teach that person the technical side so that they can become well rounded. We made that one switch and that just basically opened up the gates and we ended up increasing our bench dramatically and we ended up increasing our profitability by about 17% in that very year. So what I'm getting at is this, are organizations today set up to take somebody who basically demonstrates technical expertise as either an accountant or a marketeer or in some operational area, and then send them into some kind of training to teach them all types of soft skills, like Mm -hmm. for example, how to communicate more effectively, how to influence people and so forth. But on the other hand, They're not equally prepared to take someone who has those soft skills and to say, here is how you get familiar with the business and our models and what we do, which would be the other side of the coin that you need to be an effective leader. Is that a missing link, you think, that is preventing organizations from being able to open up those gates and have more of those leaders that every organization is saying that they desperately want at every level?
0: Not only is it a missing link, it's an opportunity for the ERG leaders to take that on. So it's the, you know, whatever the core technical skill is, plus that, you mentioned that industry knowledge, you know, what, what's the lingo? What, if I'm in a biotech company, what do I need to know about the biotech industry? Yeah. So it's not, it's not just the help desk, but it's about, you know, it's about what, what is it we need to know that's both company specific and then just business oriented. Um, I, I think you're, you're really spot on there. And as somebody who teaches in a university, I see that too, right? Let's take those really smart accountants and engineers and give them some soft skills, but we don't take the communication and the PR and the marketing majors and necessarily try to ramp them up so that they can be more effective in certain industries and companies.
1: That's an interesting thing to consider and to explore a little more. I think that there is an opportunity for expanding mm-hmm. the availability of of leadership talent within an organization just by filling in that gap.
0: We treat our ERG like a business and yeah. we're doing that in a lot of ways on innovation, but we're not doing it as much on the on the things like ROI and the business side. So doing that has the opportunity to train up a lot of people who can be in positions to be great leaders.
1: Absolutely. So I have one final question for you, Teresa, and here We're gonna do a little bit of a role play. Let's make believe that I am a business executive in a large company. I have you in my office and I ask you this very you know simple question. Why should I want to encourage and support these ERG groups? What would be your response?
0: First say that ask if you want to improve productivity and if you want to improve your sales. And if you want to do both of those, why wouldn't you take advantage of your ERGs because they can do both. They can energize population, which leads to more productivity, and they've been innovating and deriving more customer acquisition and sales. So it's a natural for growing your business, which is what every organization should be doing.
1: You sold me, Teresa. All right. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Teresa, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. I enjoyed it. And you're doing great work. Thanks for being out there for all of us.
1: Thank you. You have a great rest of your day.
0: You too. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: So as an ERG or BRG champion, leader, or chair, what additional information did you get out of this second half of the program? Here's my list. One, your efforts are not just nice to have for times when the business is doing well. You are actually an essential part of the organization, especially when things are not going so well. This is just as true during a crisis as it is after the crisis, when people in your organization need you to give them the boost in energy to pull together and recuperate like rock stars. Two, you are very likely some of the most trusted people in your company by your group members. You are the glue that holds many people together in your company. Whenever you hear people talking about the value of strong corporate culture, know that you are an important factor in sustaining that corporate culture. Three, being part of an ERG or a BRG is helping you to continue to develop what one of my future podcast episode guests calls power skills. Skills that are the most desired in leaders. Four, If you are interested in taking on a formal leadership role someday, just add business acumen to your toolkit. Learn more about your industry, about your company. Learn about topics like ROI, return on investment. In fact, you can start by listening to episode two of season two of this podcast. Finally, five, if any business leader ever asks you why they should support you and your group, ask them my version of Teresa's two questions. One, do you want to improve productivity on your team and in your entire company? And two, do you want to improve sales and market reach? If their answer is yes, then don't be shy about telling them how your ERG can help them to do just that. The bottom line is that for organizations who want to produce and sustain rockstar employees, you are the essential cornerstone component. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. By the way, Contact me if you're looking for an ERG symposium keynote or a leader for your strategy workshop, new chair onboarding, and or ERG bootcamp. I can run these for you either in person or in a virtual setting. Also, for more great ideas and tips for your ERGs, get my book, Supercharge Your ERGs, 18 Tips to Power Up Your ERG Strategy on Amazon.com. I'm Joe Santana. And thanks again for tuning in.